Well, there was a couple who had two sons, and their oldest son was named Mind Your Own Business, and their youngest son was named Trouble. And so they moved into this uh, new neighborhood, and the boys decided they were going to go outdoors, and they were going to play hide-and-go-seek. So Trouble said, I'll go hide if you count to 100. So the older brother did. He went, and he counted faithfully to 100, and then he said, ready or not, here I come. And he looked around, and he looked around his whole yard, and he didn't see his little brother anywhere. And he looked down the, the block of yards, and he didn't see his little brother there. And he scanned across the street, didn't see his little brother. So he figured he had to start with his own yard. And so he searches around, and he is looking under the front steps. He's looking all over, can't find his brother. So he goes into the neighbor's yard and starts looking behind the bushes and under the porch, uh, around the porch furniture to see if he can find him, can't find him, gets down on his hands and knees, looks underneath the cars, doesn't see his little brother anywhere. Well, one of the neighbors by that point looks out her window and she sees a suspicious looking teenager and uh, does the first thing that she normally would do. She posts on next door. And so within 30 seconds, another neighbor sees the post, looks outside, sees the same suspicious teenager, calls 911. So within a few minutes, the police officer arrives and comes up just as the older brother is peering in the tinted windows of this minivan looking for his brother. The officer says, son, what, what are you doing? Playing a game, he said. Okay, so the officer pulls out his notebook, and he said, okay, well, let's start with the basics. What's your name? Mind your own business. Well, that took the police officer by surprise. He closed his notebook and said, son, are you looking for trouble? Well, yes, have you seen him? Okay, that was a groaner. But there's a point to this. Each of our lives tell a story to those living around us. Each choice we make is a vignette, and each relationship we have is a chapter, all stitched together into one life story. If that had been an actual family, you can absolutely bet that everyone in the community would have heard of those two kids. Their teachers would be talking about them at professional conferences. Uh, did you hear I had trouble in my class last spring? Or the other, their peers would be memeing their yearbook photos. Those two kids would be internet famous by the time they even got to middle school. And everyone who heard about these two kids would probably be led to think, what were the parents thinking when they named these two kids? Why on earth would they do that? Well, in our parent-child dedications, one of the questions we often ask of parents and hear from them is why they chose a particular name for their child. A name is the first part of that child's life story. In our text today, we are going to look at a prophet who gave his children some mighty unusual names in an effort to jolt his community into remembering that God's faithfulness doesn't fail, even when his unreliable people do. Pray with me as we get started. Almighty God, we know that your word is right and true and that you are faithful in all you do. Help us to remember your goodness to us in the past. As we study your word, we ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Make these words clear and relevant for our lives today, shaping us more and more into your likeness. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the perfect embodiment of your faithfulness. Amen. Well, for those of you who know your prophets and those of you who read your Thursday newsletter, you'll know that our text today is from the book of Hosea. 
Um, this is our second week in our installment of the Character Matters series. It's an eight-week series. We're, we're going to be looking at the characteristics of God and how we can grow those characteristics in our own lives. And so our topic this week is faithfulness. Faithfulness is an external characteristic. It's a relational characteristic. It's not something that you can go off and do just by yourself. It's meant to be lived out in community. Unlike some other topics in this series, this one requires an essential integration of your internal thoughts with your external actions. If you say you're going to put away the laundry, but then choose to go play video games, you've not been faithful to your word. If you promise to drive the carpool, but then make up an excuse for why you can't go, it shows that you're not a faithful friend. There's a direct storyline connection between what you say, what you think, what you say, and what you do. And that tells the story of your faithfulness. Before we get into Hosea's story, I want to start by looking at what the Bible as a whole has to say about faithfulness. Faithfulness is mentioned over 200 times in both the Old and the New Testaments. Of these 200 references, about 90 of them are speaking about God's own character. Representative, this circle was 200. That yellow gold portion is the portion that is talking about who God is. It's almost half. Another almost 90 references speak about our relationship to God. That, again, is almost half. People are described as God's faithful servant, or God's faithful prophet, or God's faithful people. Only 10% of the verses in the Bible discussing faithfulness have to do with human relationships to each other. And out of those, only four of them deal with the marital context. So while faithfulness in marriage is important to keep in mind as we continue today, I want you to consider faithfulness in a much broader context, in the context of your relationship to God first. Would God consider you faithful to him? And then within the breadth of the relationships that you have, whether they're family relationships, business relationships, organizational relationships, any place that you have a lasting long-term commitment, would the people who know you consider you to be faithful? Let's start in Exodus. Just after the debacle of idolatry with the golden calf, Moses is talking to God, pleading with him to stay with them as they journey through the desert. Moses asks to know God more fully, to see his glory. God is pleased with this request. And he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock on the mountain and passes in front of Moses, proclaiming, God's words here, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Notice in God's description of himself that he gives to his trusted servant Moses, he brings up love and faithfulness and justice. Throughout the Bible, we are going to see these three characteristics are often revealed together. Wickedness, rebellion, sin, these things separate people from God, but out of his love, he will provide a means of forgiveness. He said it, and he will do it. He is faithful. 
This is the picture that God gives to Moses. And Moses was faithful to pass it on to the rest of the young nation of Israel. Before they entered the promised land, Moses gathered the whole nation together, and he reminds them of who God is and what he's done for them. He tells them that the Lord loved them, that the Lord fulfilled the oath that he swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to bring them out of Egypt and to redeem them from the land of slavery. From Deuteronomy, know therefore, Moses said, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. But to those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. Love and justice and faithfulness. Fast forward about 700 years, and the nation of Israel has become unfaithful to God, adopting external customs, including the worship of the Canaanites' god Baal, which included human sacrifice and sexual activity as part of the worship rituals, both direct violations of the Ten Commandments. God was about to do something very unconventional to get the attention of this misguided people. He called his prophet Hosea, to live out an example of God's faithfulness in a really tangible and personal way. It's a story of pain and rebellion, of compassion and selflessness, wrapped in unshakable love. I wish we had time to read the whole book of Hosea. That would take us all morning and we'd never get cookies. So allow me to summarize this complex and beautiful story. Hosea is called by God to marry an adulterous wife and to grow a family gestated in infidelity. Hosea marries Gomer. Scholars disagree on if her pattern of infidelity started before the wedding or after, but likely she may have been involved in the carnal practice of temple worship of Baal that was so prevalent at the time. She bore him two sons and a daughter, the latter two of questionable paternity. The names that Hosea gave could be translated impending judgment, not loved, not my people. Hosea's family told a story with their very presence in the community that they lived in. Hosea testifies to Gomer's infidelity publicly in a speech that was very similar to a divorce hearing. Gomer has left the family chasing after her lovers, but she can't seem to connect with them. No matter how sincerely and how directly she pursues them, there's always a roadblock after roadblock. Her quest is frustrated until she finds herself in the desert, utterly alone, stripped of resources, stripped of relationships, and now entirely without illusion, all the blessings that she thought came from these other connections she realizes really came from her home. I urge you to read the entirety of of the beautiful passage in chapter two, uh, but just listen right now to the words of verses 13 through 15. As it says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of trouble 
a door of hope. It is in this barren time in the wilderness that she decides to return home, much as the prodigal son does in Jesus' parable. But instead of a father's immediate and restorative welcome, the community that she returns to recognizes her not as Hosea's wife, not as a part of his family, but as a slave with no home, no rights, and no power. Her former lovers want nothing to do with her. She finds herself indentured at best with no freedom. Hosea hears of this. And he is filled with a love and compassion that she does not deserve. He goes and he spends his own personal resources of silver and grain to satisfy the slave's ransom to restore her to his family as a loved and chosen wife. He doesn't go to her immediately demanding a relationship, but instead he frees her from the ties of her past and looks forward to the day that she will choose to lovingly call him her husband and not her master. Hosea's story of marital faithfulness is explicitly intended as a reflection of God's relentless grace, even as Israel's consequence for their unfaithfulness is looming large. God is faithful to demonstrate both the love and the judgment that were communicated through Moses. Let's take a look at chapter 4 in Hosea. It starts with a harsh indictment of the nation of Israel. Hosea passes on the message from God, who says there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Notice the relational breakdowns here. A lack of faithfulness and love. Those were God's own self-description of who he is. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. Just as the Ten Commandments started with four commandments dealing with people's relationship to God, this indictment begins with Israel's unfaithfulness to God. When that relationship breaks down, so do human relationships. We have cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. Here are the rest of the Ten Commandments. Israel's relationship with God has been mortally wounded, both through their specific willful choices and benign neglect of their relationship with God. Yet God does not abandon this people who have walked away from him. Instead, it is his discipline which he uses to return the hearts of his people to him. Out of love, he strips the illusion and the comfort of the sin that they have become entangled in. So they find themselves weak and alone and vulnerable, and then they'll return to God. Listen for the heart of God's love and faithfulness from chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught them to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize that it was I who healed them. I led them with the cords of human kindness, with ties of love. From chapter 14, return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. 
Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. God's faithfulness doesn't fail, even when his unreliable people do. God told Moses there would be a consequence for sin and rebellion, but also that forgiveness would be available, that door of hope in the valley of trouble. God has Hosea repeat this promise, but he's not the only prophet to do so. Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, and others, different men, different audiences, different times, but one message, a message of hope. To those of you who follow Jesus, you can see where this is headed. The structure of this book is a little bit like a landscape where there's a foreground, a middle ground, and a distance. The foreground, the subject of this book, is Hosea's marriage, and that is very tangible to the community he's writing to. The middle ground is the impending judgment of Israel as Israel's enemies are pressing in around all sides. It is certainly recognizable, but the distance is murky. There are what appears to be mountains, but it's hard to tell if those mountains are close together or if they're far apart, if they're separated by forests or valleys or canyons, by years or decades. God uses Hosea's prophecies here to bring to light a more complete example of his faithfulness, one in the Messiah that was yet to come, Jesus Let's look for glimpses of Jesus in a few passages from chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. And from chapter 13... But I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. God is faithful, and he desires above all for his people to be faithful to him. But throughout time, humans have proved unreliable, even those who profess to follow him. We have turned to other people and to material things, searching for the peace and rest that only God will provide. But God continues to love, even when that love has been rejected. And that is the heart of God's faithfulness. Facing his final day on earth, knowing that a lonely and painful death was imminent, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there is any way, Father, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was abandoned by his friends. He was mocked by his rivals. He passed hundreds upon hundreds of faces, people who stood by watching this brutal end. Romans tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we can be restored to a relationship with God. Another reliable promise from Hosea. I will deliver this, po- this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? 
There are glimpses in Hosea that are future even to us of the future day of the Lord when God will return to put an end to death and sin and establish his perfect kingdom on earth. God has shown himself to be faithful, faithful to Israel, faithful to the church, and faithful to every person who puts their trust in him. He does not leave us all alone. Jesus told his followers of the Holy Spirit who would come to live within every person who repents of their sin and puts their trust in Jesus. Faith is that fruit of our lips. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, will strengthen us during times of temptation, will align our hearts and thoughts with God. The Holy Spirit will help us understand the Bible and to resist temptation when the time comes and to build relationships with integrity and to serve generously with joy. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make us more and more like God so that others can see what God is like and be drawn to him through our actions. God is faithful to us and the Holy Spirit will help us be faithful to him. So what will your story be? It all starts with faithfulness to God before all else. That sounds great, you might say, but how do I live that out? We'll start with a foundation of integrity. God set the example of faithfulness completed by the life of Jesus Christ and fulfilled through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Tend your relationship. All relationships need an investment of time between two people in order to grow close, and a relationship with God is no different. Prioritize your time with him. At Trout Lake camps, they call it tag time. Do we have any campers here? Anybody who's been to Trout Lake? What does it stand for? Yeah, I think you got it. Oh, you're going to Trout. Paul, you've been to Trout. What is it? Time alone with God. All right, you got it. Time is very important. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. I'm not a morning person, so, you know, that's not my time. It is for some people. Find that time, carve it out that you can spend with God, and then make sure that during that time you have communication. Communication could be reading the Bible. It could be praying. It could be journaling your thoughts to God, anything where there is open and two-way communication between you and God. And finally, focus. As you're tending your relationship, make sure you have a distraction-free time when you can focus on communicating and listening to God. And then finally, demonstrate your love for him. This is going to look different for all of us. It could be a whole variety of ways, but most of them will involve loving other people, God's precious creation. And if you live a life story faithful to God, it will overflow into faithfulness in your human relationships. And the interesting thing is, it will look very much the same as how you cultivate your relationship with God. Start with a foundation of integrity. Be someone that people can trust, someone they can rely on. Prove continually that you will do what you say you will do. Tend your relationships. Whether, you're, they're, you're, whether they are your colleagues or your family, invest your time. Communicate well with love and forgiveness and focus your attention on that person when you're with them. And finally, 
demonstrate your love to them, just like Christ did for us, laying down his life and giving everything he had to show us an image, a tangible image of God's love and faithfulness. This week, let's all grow in faithfulness so that all who are in relationship to us can see a tangible picture of God's faithfulness, one that is clear enough to make them pause and wonder, why would she do that? What on earth is he thinking? Heavenly Father, we are amazed at the depth of your faithfulness to us. Your unwavering and wayward people, we don't deserve it, but steadfast you are there, unchanging with your love. Increase our faithfulness through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can offer our lives as a living sacrifice of praise and gratitude. Pour out your joy in abundance on every heart that is seeking to follow you sincerely and lead us in your ways everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, our example and Lord, we pray. Amen.